In those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answer him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? he asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About four thousand were there. He dismissed them. And he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them got back into the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread, and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, 
Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Right on cue, Casey. Let me... Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for um, moments like this together um, of connection, of community, um, of encouragement, um, but most importantly, a, a time for us to just realign our, our, our eyes to you, God. And so um, we pray, Father, that as we dive into your word, we pray that you're, you would shape us, you would mold us, and grow us into, into the image of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got baby Jude in the house. Katie's the lucky one that gets to hold him right now. Hi, Jude. Hi, honey. Oh, yes. We are so happy you guys are back. I cannot wait to hold the little guy. He looks like he's doing so good. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, hon. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Well, uh, we are, as you know, we're in week eight of a 16-week uh, conversation through the Gospel of Mark. So today Mark's halfway through um, until Easter Sunday, and and we're calling uh, this conversation Eyes on Jesus. And as we've been mentioning and, and kind of coming back to over and over again, just to familiarize yourself and remind you a little bit, we're, we're, we're declaring this kind of a six-month season where we are um, looking to see our faith in Jesus grow uh, and to be built up in Him. And, and, and we realize that's impossible. We can't see our faith grow and we can't see our faith be built up in Jesus unless our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And this is what the author of Hebrews goes on to say, right? So fix your eyes on Jesus, for he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so um, what we see in our culture today is we see um, people that maybe you, maybe you know people or you see people that, that maybe their faith is weakening. And a lot of times it has to do because our eyes are fixed on other things, right? Um, and as Mark goes on to say throughout the whole gospel, and we'll always keep coming back to it, is your eyes are set on human concerns, right? You're, you're focused down on on things of the world or culture or, or things that feel heavy here and now. And he's always constantly, no, no, just gaze your eyes up a little bit. Take your eyes off the things that are going on around you and keep your eyes fixed on heavenly things, on things of God and things of the kingdom. And so Mark um, uh, is um, a superior communicator. He's a tell it like it is. He's a no nonsense kind of guy. Um, and, and maybe for you, that's helpful as it comes to the life and ministry of Jesus. I know it is for me where he just says, this, this, is, this is just the truth. This is what it is. And so um, we're, 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 um, we're basically going chapter by chapter. And I love teaching out of gospels. I love teaching from books because you just teach what's next, right? Like there's no, man, what am I going to preach on? What am I going to say? Well, you just preach what's next. And so that's what we do. It's a fun discipline to be in as a community together. So, so chapter eight is where Jesus starts to take his ministry to the next level, per se, um, in the sense that he begins to reveal 
who he is. And so chapter eight's full of um, things that Jesus has just been doing, right? The things that Jesus does all the time, right? Like uh, teach and uh, tell people about the love of God. Um, It's another uh, chapter where he's spending time with people. Um, It's another time where he's performing healings um, and he's performing miracles, except he decides, and I think in this case, um, where Jesus decides to spit on a guy. Um, I can only imagine, and these are things where you just got to know, Jesus has such a sense of humor, doesn't he? Now, would you, this is, maybe this is the, this is the question we should lead with this morning. Would you let Jesus spit on you? (laughs) Would you let Jesus spit on you? Well, this guy clearly let Jesus spit on him, but this is the sense of humor of Jesus, right? We're like, obviously he can heal a guy that's blind in any way he wants, right? But he's like, I got an idea. I'm going to spit on him. Right? Like, would you let Jesus spit on you? Maybe. I would, I think. I would bottle it and, like, try to sell it on eBay or something like that. That's, if this guy was smart, that's what he should have done. You realize how, you know? This is what, like, basketball players do. Like, they save their sweat and sell it on eBay. We should, we should have saved spit of Jesus. That could, have, that could have done away with a lot of, you know, controversies today. See, it did happen. No. But, uh... That being said, the, this, this, the Jesus is just revealing now, like he's doing these things, and he's doing the things that he always does. Except, except in chapter 8, we see him kind of bring it back to his disciples, and he, and he begins to say out loud why he's doing what he's doing, right? And he reveals himself to be the Messiah. So this revelation comes after Jesus is just doing the things that Jesus has always done. And so that being said, it's important for us to look through chapter 8 through the eyes of the disciples at this point. Up, this is just a normal day for them. This is just like, there, there is a point now where they've been following Jesus, right? Up to this point, we can imagine almost a couple years at this point. And, and they're just, this is just getting up out of bed. What's, this is going to be a great day. Jesus is going to do some crazy stuff. And we get to kind of just watch and be a part of this, right? And so this was a normal day for the disciples until it wasn't. Has that ever happened to you? Like you, life was just going, right? Just, you know, you wake up, today's going to look like yesterday. Just got work today. Maybe I'll hit the gym, going to cook dinner, watch a show on Netflix, then go to sleep, right? We have our days planned out. And our day is just a normal day until it isn't. Has that ever happened to you? Where a day just kind of took a turn, a turn that you didn't necessarily expect. Maybe the turn was a good turn, right? It was something that excited that happened that, that ultimately pulled you out of your comfort zone and took you down a path that you never thought you would go down to this. This is, this is why life is so interesting. And this is why life can be so difficult, but it can also be fun. But this is, life keeps us on our toes in that way. And when things just happen, they just happen. There's no way to prepare yourself for the unknown, Right? And so you ever had a day like that? Your world changed. Maybe it flipped upside down in a certain way. Uh, routines for you um, changed. And you kind of just were left frazzled. Like I said, maybe, maybe this was a change that you were hoping for. It was a good change. It was good news. Maybe it was good news from a doctor. It was an pr- unexpected promotion or a raise or just a pat on the back from somebody that you needed affirmation with, Right? 
Um, maybe it was a different kind of change, a bigger change that kind of transcends all that, like a birth of a child or getting married or into a relationship or, or, or maybe stepping away from a relationship that was toxic. Um, well, like there are good changes and there are bad changes. There's things that kind of alter our days that come out of nowhere. Every day is just normal until it isn't. There is unexpected things that lay around each corner. And so here's what I want to say um, to those that can relate. Everybody, you've been there? A normal day until it wasn't, right? Here's what I want to say, and I hope this is encouraging to you. What we see in chapter 8, there's hope. In the midst of the unpredictability, in the midst of a normal day, routine, until it's not, there is hope. Not just a universal kind of hope, but hope that is actually found in seeing, hearing, and knowing Jesus. And this is the theme of Mark chapter 8. Sight, uh, seeing, hearing, knowing knowing Jesus. And so there are four interactions that I don't know if you caught on to that Jesus has in chapter 8. The first is with 4,000 people, right? This is not the first rodeo for Jesus um, in, in performing a miracle with the thousands. Nathan, a couple weeks ago, preached on when Jesus performed a miracle with 5,000, providing food for five. This is a different occasion. Um, the second is with probably a couple dozen Pharisees that had different motives when they were with Jesus, Right? The third is with one blind man, and the last is with his 12 disciples, and maybe, maybe a few others that were tagging along, right? Like, disciples had friends, could just come hang out, you know, like, I'm in with him, so you'll be in too, it's cool. Like, you know, well, you know Jesus, can I tag? Like, so, I got to imagine there was a few others that were there with Jesus this day. And so, so what's, what's ultimately happening here? And here's the point of chapter 8 in the midst of all those four different interactions, and it's this, no matter what you have going on in your life, Jesus is reliable. That's it. Jesus is reliable. It doesn't matter if you're hungry and you're in need of a meal. Jesus is reliable. It doesn't matter if, if you know Jesus personally, like the 12 disciples. Jesus is reliable. It doesn't matter if you have a medical condition. It doesn't even matter if your faith in Jesus is, has somewhat got off track, and you're not seeing him clearly for who he is. Jesus is reliable, and Jesus wants you to know this morning, and he wants to remind some of us, and, and this is a message I frequently need to remind myself of, is whatever you have going on, you can rely on Jesus. This is, this is what he reveals himself to be in chapter 8. He does it through some tangible ways, miracles, healings, interactions, teachings, right? But he also does it and comes at it from an eternal perspective. He says, I really care about what you have going on today. The things that you're going through today, I really do care about. But there's also good news at the end of all this. If you just stay with me and you understand who I am, you hear, you see, and you know me, like there's also a good ending to all this that's coming around. And so this is, this is what Jesus does. And so there are three things I see in chapter 8 that point to the reliability of Jesus that I think is helpful for us to think about, to be challenged by, going into the week to say whatever it is that you face. Again, you will probably wake up this week and things are just normal. And something may come up, right, that challenges your normalcy, that challenges your routine, that forces you to step out of your comfort zone in some way. What do you have to fall on? What do you have to fall on? Well, Jesus says, it's him, me. 
You can fall on me. I'm reliable with whatever it is that you're going through. All right, so, so Jesus gives us three reasons why we can rely on him. This is what I see, these insight that I have into chapter eight. The first is this, and I'll just go through them quickly and then we'll unpack each of them separately. He says, in so many ways, through the first story of feeding of the 4,000, 4, just remember what I've done. <laughs> remember what I've done, number one, know who I am, number two, and embrace the way. Embrace the road that I've walked on. Like, if you want to demonstrate um, your trust in me, if you really want to put your mouth where your money is, and you really want to follow me, here, here are three ways that you can fall back on when, when your life is interrupted in some way. When, when you're stretched outside of your routine or in some way something happens. Those three things. So let's take a look at each one a little bit deeper. Remember. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Um, the, first, the first interaction we have is a familiar story for all of us, right? We've heard of this. Again, Jesus is standing in front of 4,000 people, preaching, teaching, and we could assume he's also, and Mark just didn't record it, because it's not really the point here, but he's also probably performing some miracles along the way. He's with them for three days. 72 hours. And so it wasn't, I, I, again, just, just thinking about Jesus and, and how relational he was with people, I don't think Jesus was just preaching for 72 hours. Maybe he was. I don't want to read into the text here. But I could also assume that Jesus had to sleep. He took naps. He played cards. Whatever it is that like, he wanted to do. Maybe threw rocks. <laughs> he hung out, right? He hung out with people. He enjoyed himself. Um, but this setting is a familiar one for Jesus. Um, not long before this, again, Nathan talked about it a couple weeks ago. He just did the same thing with 5,000 people, right? So the scenario here should be deja vu all over again for everybody, specifically the disciples. Okay, we know what Jesus can do. We, we've, seen, we've seen this before. Jesus can feed anybody with nothing, right? He can meet the needs of anybody. Um. So the 12 were in it with Jesus. They were in it just like everyone else there to the point where they also became hungry. After three days, okay, it's time to eat. We love you, Jesus. You're saying some great things, but low blood sugar. Need something, need something to eat. And so Jesus recognizes the problem first. And so, but the disciples, being the disciples and being people that are focused on human concerns, just like we are, automatically think about the scenario that needs to happen. Let's just send them. They should just go home. They should just go out, fend for themselves, right? These are the thoughts, the regular thoughts that they would have. Um, and, and, you know, this is just life. Responsible for yourself. I'm responsible for myself. And so in their forgetfulness of what Jesus had already done, just a few weeks ago, most likely, in feeding the 5,000, um, they asked Jesus, don't you see the crowd? You see how many people are here? How can we get enough food for everyone? <laughs> and you just got to think, again, Jesus being Jesus, just a Homer Simpson, like, so. Oh, are you dumb? Hello? Like, you know, like that fresh, I'm a parent, like the moment you do, so you're just like, dude, not like, come on, come on. And in this moment, I can just picture Jesus just having that moment where he's like, you've already forgotten what I've done? 
you already forgot what I did with the 5,000? And so just as it was before, Jesus, out of his grace and his mercy for us that are focused on human conditions, does the miracle again. All right, I'll do it again for you. (laughs) But can you try to remember this one for the next time, right? And so the feeding of the 4,000, this is the the point. It goes beyond Jesus just feeding people who are hungry. That is the compassion. That's the motivation that Jesus has. But the feeding of the 4,000 is all about Jesus blessing those who had an obvious need, food, but in their need, they were completely content. You notice the story and how Mark writes it? People were not, the 4,000 was not shouting at the top of their lungs, is this going to be a buffet like the last one? We're going to have all we can eat? We're hungry. We're here because we just want to see you, like, give us a bunch of food. Jesus is the one that initiated it. Food was never asked by the 4,000. Why? They were completely content in the presence of Jesus. They didn't even, they were focused on heavenly things. Food was the last thing on the menu. <laughs> they, they, they were interested in what Jesus brought to them in that moment. They were completely content with the presence of God. They were not in attendance because they wanted to see Jesus do something new. They just wanted Jesus. And it's in that spirit that Jesus recognizes and says, I have compassion for these people. Because they're not just here because they want me to do something for them. They're here because they just want to be in my presence. They're only thinking about the things that he had done. (laughs) They've heard about the things he had done. That was enough. They didn't need Jesus to do something new to buy in to what his mission and ministry was. And then the interaction immediately following that, do you notice the difference with the Pharisees? When they're like, give me a sign. If you give me another sign, right, then we'll believe. In other words, what you've done isn't enough. You need to, he's at this point raised people from the dead. He's done some crazy things. And then there's a spirit within the Pharisees, and by the way, is the majority of, could be a lot of Christians today, need Jesus to do something else in order to build faith within them. The past isn't enough. What Jesus has already done on the cross, specifically, I'm not even just talking about what he did in your life yesterday. I'm talking about what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus wants to do new things in us. He can do things in us if, if we don't even have an ounce of content doesn't matter he, that he, it doesn't mean he won't do something, he won't bless your life, but what he's interested in doing in your life is uh, creating a, a passionate follower of him that, that is not contingent based on future stuff, but what he's already done. Are you, are you tracking with me here? Okay? And so, so the heart of the Pharisees in this moment, which is polar opposite from the 4,000, is if you want me to pledge my allegiance to you, if you want me to actually confess you as Messiah, you must do a bigger sign. And sadly, many Christians live this same way today. God, if you just give me this job, I promise I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday. Right? Just give me a spouse. If you just give me a spouse, then I'll know you're real. This is, people pray like this. I'm not, I don't want to knock it. This is how you pray. I don't want to knock it. Just wanted to say, let's pay attention to this for a second. Right? If, if, if you do this, then I'll do this. Right? This kind of, 
I'm not going to, I don't want to get into the motives and all of that. I just, I, I think Jesus is wanting to shed a light and say, this is actually in the heart of humanity. And he's interested in creating people that pay attention a little bit and, 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 and maybe realize, maybe my prayers, like it, Jesus is hearing them, maybe they're not getting answered because there's a contingency attached to it, right? It's, if you do this, then I will be this. And, and, and this is not the spirit of the 4,000 which is why I think fuels Jesus' compassion to perform a miracle, right? Um, they were just content in his presence. And so here's the point. Jesus is blessing your life all the time, right? Like, this is not, this is not like a message of like, do this and then he'll do that. <laughs> the point is he's already blessing your life all the time. In the past, present, and tomorrow. This is just who he is, right? He's a gracious, merciful God. But the worst thing you could do is either forget about his blessings or even worse, demand a new blessing in order to believe in him. Do you see, do you see the heart that Jesus is going after here in chapter 8? He's interested in the heart. He's interested in the motives, Right? And again, it's not that Jesus can't or will not bless you if you're not content. It's just that he's more interested in developing followers who don't follow him for what he does, but rather for who he is. And this is, uh, I think, a word um, for our church. I think it's a word for our culture. Um, and, and when we fall in love with Jesus for who he is, it's then we, that we can appreciate all that he does, Right? If we, if we can't just fall in love with Jesus for what he did on the cross, this is, this is where it gets, this is where I want to press in a little bit more. He'll never be enough for us today. And I think I, I, I mentioned this several weeks ago. If Jesus never did another thing for you, would he be enough? That's the spirit that he's molding you into. Is the cross. I've already done it all. I've already saved your soul from sin and death. <laughs> what else do you want? Well, the good news is he wants to do more, but he wants that to be enough. So what has Jesus done in your life? What has he done? In which ways has he blessed you? Small ways and big ways. Can you even rattle them off in this moment in your mind? Can you? I hope so. I hope you can. If you can't, no shame, no judgment. But I think the challenge for us is just to develop a spiritual muscle, right, that is quick to see, to hear, and to know the things that God's doing in my life, right? If I can't remember what Jesus is doing in my life, then maybe I'm at risk of forgetting who he is. Just like the blind man, right? Sometimes all it takes is Jesus just opening our eyes up just a little bit to see him for who he is, right? Right? I love how that story goes. I could just preach a whole message on that one story. He does it the first time, right? He's like, I just see trees. And Jesus is like, okay, you can't see. You're not seeing clearly yet. <laughs> Jesus is very patient in that moment. And then he does it again. He sees clearly and he sees Jesus for who he is. Oftentimes, it's just a little perspective shift. My eyes are here and they need to be here, right? This leads me to my next point. Know who Jesus is. Know who he is. So Jesus asked his disciples a very important question. Who does everyone, this is the first way, who does everyone say that I am? They rattle off some answers which are all true. Yeah, your cousin 
They think you're cousin John. I think that's, I think that's you. And that's weird. I wonder what Jesus is like, huh? They think I'm John? Okay. Um, others think you're Elijah. But the majority of the people claim that you're a prophet. This is how the community really sees you for who you are. Um, which, by the way, would be a compliment <laughs> to pretty much everybody else but Jesus, right? Because the prophet held a high office within the government. Um, they had power and influence within the church. They, they, were, they were selected individuals who had credibility in hearing from God, discerning what God was saying, and taking the message of God to the people, right? So when a prophet spoke, it was as if those words were from God, right? And so... This would be a compliment for, for the majority of people, right? This was something that would essentially not like a knock on anybody else other than Jesus. And so this is during the life of, of Jesus, prophets were held in high honor and their opinion mattered and it affected people greatly. And kings um, and again, government officials would, would seek out a prophet in their decision making. They would want to know, what does a prophet have to say about this? As if someone that's credible that hears from God. And so when we think about a prophet, today it's very different um, in, our, in our culture today. Um, especially in the sense that, that Jesus left us his Holy Spirit, right? And so when Jesus did that, uh, he basically uh, said, anybody that professes faith in me, press, pr- uh, uh, professes their allegiance to me, um, has a direct relationship with God through me. Right? So you don't, essentially when Jesus came and he died and went to heaven, he essentially eliminated the office of prophet altogether from that perspective in, in first and second Judaism, century Judaism, right? And he instituted a new way, a new gifting to say, anybody that has a relationship with me through the power of the Holy Spirit can hear directly from God. And so in other words, everybody can be a prophet. You can be a prophet be a prophet you can be a prophet you can be a prophet prophet is not just um held for a specific type of person right um and this is we talked a lot about this in in the fall you remember the priesthood of all believers this is what peter comes out and says you are a holy nation you are a priesthood the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead lives in all of you now yes there are there will be people that have the prophetic gift who have more influence who have a bigger platform than others but that's not to say that that person who exercising a prophetic gift is more important to God or is seen as more credible than, to God than it is to you. We all hold the office of prophet today with the caveat that you hear from God and you're discerning the one true voice from God. This is where it gets important, right? Lots of people come and, and claim to hear from God. Lots of people say, thus saith the Lord. And then we can do a whole series. I can do a series on anything. You do this. I can say this a hundred times probably today. Of like, what is actually to discern the voice of God? What does that mean, right? How do you test those words? How do you test if someone really is hearing from God? There's all kinds of things in the middle of that, right? But the point is this, is that you are empowered and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you can hear from God and the discipleship process is discerning that. And when you speak it, it's actually bringing life and encouragement to somebody. It's pointing someone to Jesus, not to anything else. That's the biggest way to discern right? So, so yes, there are those who have greater influence, but, but the Holy Spirit's in all of us. So biblically speaking, anyone can be a prophet as long as you're hearing the true voice of God. That's the qualification. But Jesus um, is not content with that response. Why? He knows he's more than a prophet. 
So he flips a script, and he wants to see kind of where his disciples land on this whole thing. All right, I know what culture says. Culture thinks I'm a prophet. Culture thinks I'm just my cousin reincarnate. (laughs) But who, as the people that have been with me, people that know me, the people that have relationship with me, the people that remember what I'm doing and have seen what I've done, who do you say that I am, Peter? You're my guy. You've been with me for a while. Who do you say that I am? In other words, Jesus, Peter, take a close look at me. Investigate me. What have you seen me do? What have you heard me say? How do I treat people? How have people's lives been affected as a result of me? And I can imagine Peter just pausing for a moment and stepping back. I hope. And just having a moment of reflection and thinking about Jesus, right? Replaying interactions that Jesus had, miracles that he's performed those quiet moments in a house with somebody as he's pastoring them, as he's healing them, whatever those interactions may be, I can imagine Peter pausing for a moment. And in this moment, Jesus is putting his faith to the test because Peter at this point has a history of saying dumb things at the wrong time, right? This is, and Jesus knows this about him. He's just quick to speak. He's slow to listen. He just is like, right? And so Jesus is like saying, okay, Peter, who am I? Peter can respond with a lot of different things in this moment. But here, in one of the few times uh, pre-crucifixion of Jesus, Peter actually answers this question perfectly. And you got to imagine just Jesus being like, there is hope for the church. There is hope for this. And he says, you are Messiah. This is a bold claim that Peter is making. Um, Peter was the first to declare the lordship of Jesus Christ on this planet. He was the first person to actually see Jesus for who he is. Taking into account and investigating the life of Jesus, he was the first one to declare who Jesus is. So this is a bold claim that Peter is making. All throughout the Hebrew scriptures, also known as the Old Testament, um, the Messiah, which in Hebrew means the anointed one, he was the one that was going to come back and kind of right the ship, right? Um, the way that the world kind of got off track, if you think Saddam and Gomorrah, like if you think about all the things in the Old Testament, all about the plundering and the pillaging, all the things that God was like trying to fix and putting kings and, 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 and people in order in place, like the Messiah was going to come and actually just make everything right. He's going to establish the world and right the ship, right? This is how they thought about it, mostly in political, in, in, in political terms, right? He's going to put someone in charge, and it'll be us probably. <laughs> but he's going to come back and right the ship through people. And, and so, um, and then when we get in the New Testament, the primary language was now Greek, and the word Messiah means Christ, which signifies Savior, which means that's Messiah, right? So it's, it's now recognition okay, that, like, we used to believe that when, when, the, when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to write the, write the world politically, speaking, but now in the New Testament, they were interpreting Messiah to be Savior of the world. So there is already kind of a recognition, maybe not a great awareness of sin. There's something going on inside me. There's something inside me that needs to be right. There's something longer in my soul that needs to be dealt with, right? And so um, there was also a political term in this, but there was a little bit more as we see through the history of, of Israel, 
and within the Hebrew faith and into Judaism, that, that God was doing a work and bringing his people back to himself. So he is the son of God. This is what Peter is saying. You are the son of God. You're not just a prophet. You're actually the one that the prophets that I grew up reading <laughs> say you are. This is, you're the one that they've been longing for. You're the one Israel has been dreaming for and waiting for to come back. You are Messiah. So, this is, and I think this is what Jesus wants to conclude with in this moment. All in based off the term that Jesus is reliable. He's reliable because he's Messiah. He's reliable because he's Savior. He's the Son of God. He set your soul free from sin and death. As a result, for all that Jesus has done on the cross, you're fully equipped to deal with whatever life throws at you. You've got it all. You've got Jesus. You're fully equipped. You've got every tool in your tool belt. I try to get that in there every couple weeks. I know it's one of the things that keep Ben engaged. Um, Nailed it. But this is so important for us to get, and I think Jesus wants you to hear this morning that, you know, you, you tell him. Tell him regularly who you know him to be in your life, right? This is why he asked Peter this question. When life's coming at you quick, when you're dealt with circumstances, you're in the middle of a season that is pretty crippling and paralyzing, in that moment declare out loud who I am to you. Say that regularly. When was the last time you told Jesus you're my you're Messiah? You're my Savior. You're my King. You're my Lord of Lords. To declare who He is in moments when life changes. Because when that moment, what we're ultimately saying is that you're the most reliable um, one that I could put any of my trust in. You will never fail. Your love is constant. Which gets me to my final thought on the reliability of Jesus, and it's this. I think he says, embrace the way that I've gone. Embrace the life that Jesus has lived. Walk the road that he walked, right? This is how he wraps up chapter 8. He talks about sacrifice, he talks about suffering, and he talks about death, all pointing to life. What? <laughs> right? Sacrifice, suffering, death, life. You want life? Sacrifice, suffering, death. You want it, you, you, you think you want, the, you don't, you want the life without those things? Well, okay, that leads to death. <laughs> Do you see what Jesus is saying here, right? If you want life, you have to go through suffering, sacrifice, and death. But if you just want to hold on to the life today, well, that's just going to lead to death. So, I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> but I just can imagine trying to sit there and listen. Like, huh, right? How does this make any sense? Jesus goes on to say, hey, if you want to find your life, since you guys aren't catching what I'm throwing at you now, let me try to put it in more words for you. If you want to find your life today, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. And so, so Jesus is, is kind of given some, some road marks here to actually walk with him. If you want to w- walk the road of reliability, 
If you want to know that your feet are firm and secure, no matter where you're heading, no matter where God takes you, no matter what comes at you, sacrifice, suffering, death. It's the way of Jesus. But those roads don't lead to a bottomless pit. It all leads to Jesus when we, when we walk the road that he walked, the road that leads to eternal life. And I also just think if I can just sum this up in terms a little bit. And I think this is a spirit that I would, and I want to land with, and we can invite the team, worship team up, is this. You want to walk the road that Jesus walked? Here's what I'm praying for you this week, and here's what I want. This is what I would love to see um, uh, a marker in, in your faith and my faith. Really exercise and express everywhere you go. You before me, not me before you. You before me. No matter what, traffic, grocery store line, your marriage, raising kids, in, in your singleness, developing a regular rhythm that is okay with people going before you. You before me, not me before you. Can you imagine? And this is what it will be like when Jesus comes back. This is what um, eternal glory looks like. It's a community um, living this way before me not me before you and and this is this is the spirit that that jesus is is wanting for his people and this is when he talks about hey you want to live deny yourself you before me not me before you it's the most practical element of discipleship it's the most practical element of being a christian in today's world and this is how this is how the church today can really start to make an impact in our culture today you before me. You take it. There's only one bag of chips left on You have it. They're the hot Cheetos. That's okay. I'll, I'll wait till tomorrow. You get what I'm saying. Small ways, big ways. And so how can you, how can you live that out this week? How can you go on that journey? I, I can just imagine the revival that's going to take place in your own relationship with Jesus. And by the way, you know what's beautiful about this? And this is, what I, this is how I want to land. And I felt this sense as we were wrapping up worship. Was that, that this kind of lifestyle will ultimately defeat fear. Really. But the one thing that's crippling our culture today, the one thing that's crippling the church today is fear. Fear is all based in unknowns. It's all about what's, what could happen, right? Things out there that I can't control. Not even necessarily things that will happen, things that could happen. This is why anxiety and depression is so rampant. It's all just being pushed and pushed and pushed. It's all rooted in fear, right? But if, if we just adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, it's going to take us, to get, it's, we're going to have to do this together. We can't do this alone. We're going we're gonna to have bad days. We're going to have good days. But if we can just come back to this simple invitation from Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Okay, what Jesus is saying is you before me, not me before you. I can imagine what he would want to do in your life. I can imagine what he will do in this church and what he'll do in the, around the globe. All right? And so what we want to do, um, we're going to take communion and just have a moment of response. But here's what I want to specifically invite you into. Um, in this moment, before we can get out of here and uh, live this you before me, not me before you lifestyle, is identify the fear that's holding you back. From, from, from stepping out of the way. 
and allowing Jesus just to be Jesus, right, in your life. Identify it. And then when you don't, don't, I'm not bossing you around. But please, I would encourage you not to go to the table of communion until you have identified that thing. And as you go pick up the bread and dip it in the juice, just leave it at the cross. Spiritually speaking, just leave it there. And if you need to write it down somewhere and put it somewhere that's visible, and always just come back. Okay. All right, Jesus. You before me, not me before you. I'm going to live with sacrifice. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to let those things go that I can't control. I'm just going to see what you're going to do in my life. Okay? So identify that thing, and then the team is going to lead us in worship, and then Nathan will come up and pray us out. Sound good? Lord, we um, are thankful for you, Jesus, and for the ways that your word is always fresh, um, that it's always um, timely, that there's never a moment that when we get into your word, that it returns void. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to hearts and minds. God, that we would see you, that we would hear you, that we would know you. And that when life changes happen or when everything is normal until it's not, those things wouldn't, th- those things wouldn't throw us. They wouldn't offset our balance in any way because our feet are firmly on you, Jesus. You are reliable. Nothing else is. And so would you be enough? We want to remember what you've done. We want to know who you are, Lord. And we want to walk the road that you walked. But we need your grace. We need your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.